The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everybody. I would like to bid you a cordial welcome. My name is Dr. Clemens Rutner. I'm the Director of Research uh, with the School of Languages, Literatures and Cultural Studies at Trinity College Dublin. Uh, this is uh, another talk within our research seminar series. And it is a particular and also personal uh, pleasure to welcome a very special guest uh, today, namely uh, Professor Tomislav Longinovich. Um, Tomislav is an emeritus professor of Slavic comparative literature uh, and visual studies with the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, uh, he's an emeritus uh, for, for a couple of months now, but um, he has a new sphere of activities um, back uh, in his uh, former, um, um, uh, how should I call it, Heimat, place of uh, uh, descent. And uh, he's a very industrious person. Uh, it, it always amazes me how many things he has done in his life. He's not only a very accomplished uh, scholar, uh, having uh, uh, published books like Borderline Culture, Vampires Like Us, um, or um, Vampire Nation. This is how our um, friendship started but he's also um he he was a performance artist for a while and he's also a writer of uh, fiction um his uh, latest publication is a novel in uh in uh, serbian uh, fetish nulo which uh was published last year and immediately received an award if i, I got it right um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's such a great pleasure to have you here, Tomislav. Um, um, you're now, uh, I, I assume, in Belgrade or um, in Rovin, uh, the places where you usually live uh, outside of uh, Wisconsin. I think there are better places than Wisconsin at the moment. Um, and we would really love to have you over uh, to Trinity one day, uh, physically in person, uh, because you're such an amazing researcher and I'm very happy and very curious what you're going uh, to talk to us uh, tonight. Thank you, thank you so much, uh, um, you know, Dr. Rutner, uh, you know, and thank you very much for this wonderful invitation. Uh, and it is a great pleasure and honor to be a guest at the research seminar at Trinity and Yes, I do also hope to join you live one day as well. So, um, you know, today I'm going to speak about uh, this publication that has uh, kind of an opened a, an entire new field of study that uh, you will see later towards the end uh, of the presentation uh, will be called by, um, you know, historians, political scientists, um, anthropologists and um, literary scholars uh, critical Balkanology. Um, you know, it is exactly this year marks the decade since the Vampire Nation as a book was published by Duke University Press. And um, this lecture gives me um, yeah, a, a great pleasure and an occasion 
to actually do a summary of what has been the effect uh, of this publication on the general field of uh, South Slavic studies on literary theory, you know, on the theory of the fantastic genre uh, that uh, this book all partakes in, but also in terms of um, kind of geopolitical imaginary and how it is, you know, created. So I will start a little bit uh, talking about the genesis, uh, you know, of the book itself and the idea, then I'll go into um, the uh, particular chapters, and then ultimately I will go and uh, look at some of the critical reception that the book has received over these years. So um, the idea for the book uh, came about during the uh, uh, huge pro project that was initiated by Canada Council that was called the Literary History Project. And I was put in charge of editing uh, part of this huge volume that was called the Temporal Nodes. And so as we were doing this, we were trying to kind of reconfigure the way in which the literary history was written. We were not so much uh, into uh, recording chronologies, but actually uh, creating an experimental innovative way of speaking about certain dates, certain years, uh, certain figures or certain spaces as nodes. So I was put in charge of something called the temporal nodes, nodes of uh, temporality. And, you know, slowly through research, uh, the vampire emerged as kind of a figure that best uh, stood in for the temporality of East and Central Europe, because um, it is uh, a region in which, you know, nations are small, but they're cultural memory is extremely long and keeps coming back and is resurrected sort of like a dead body of the vampire and comes back to haunt them with different kinds of violent um, imagery. And therefore the subtitle here is violence as cultural imaginary. And of course my particular focus uh, then became uh, the figure of the Serbs, you know, written with uh, small uh, caps and, you know, written with quotation marks uh, to denote kind of the phantasmatic imaginary nature of this construct aside from the political science use of the term or the regular use of the term to denote an ethnicity. And um, as I was working, um, I kind of first came upon this historical genesis, um, you know, of the vampire figure as a transitional figure you know, between the medieval times and modernity, because in many ways the vampire is um, born on this edge, on this periphery, on this border, and therefore I actually titled the lecture today at the borders of Europe. So these borders are both temporal, but also spatial as well. So, uh, First of all, you know, we had the so-called faith-based narratives, you know, that were uh, dominant in determining the medieval mindset, uh, where the kind of supernatural uh, creatures and beings, you know, uh, based in religion, determined the nature of what our being is, um, you know, and of course, in that uh, kind of economy, the body became a perishable element, uh, while the soul was the eternal one supposedly imbuing these bodies with life. And, you know, in the transfer 
you know, to the modern times, uh, you know, in the 18th uh, century, vampire, vampire sort of showed up, you know, uh, first in folklore, then in literature, then of course later in film and other forms of popular culture to challenge this binary by bringing back the body, um, you know, and having the body actually resurrect itself uh, and, you know, come back, you know, to haunt its own uh, uh, community. So it, in a sense, a vampire figure um, in these new conditions, you know, in the age of rationalism and the enlightenment uh, served as a kind of demonic imitatio Christi, especially, uh, you know, reimagining or retelling the resurrection legend with a demonic uh, sign in front of it. And it's interesting, we're actually talking about this in the Easter week, you know, um, about this uh, kind of different kind of resurrection. So in a, that way, the vampire became uh, the figure of modernity itself, um, a figure that is always pursuing eternal life of the present moment and always moved by the force of memory, on the other hand, and the past of its eternal youth. And this is actually one of the definitions that Benedict Anderson gave uh, to the nation. You know, um, the, the nation is that creature that is always trying to um, imagine for itself the past that came before any other past of its neighbors and so on. So in writing this book, then I you know, uh, brought together literature, history, politics, uh, through the sense of culture as a kind of nexus, uh, and a, and a sort of an intersection between these domains. And historically speaking, and, um, you know, speaking in, um, you know, department that um, you, um, the Dr. Rutner is now, it is interesting that uh, the first modern uh, re uh, recorded uh, cases of vampirism actually came through the Slavic and Germanic cultural contact and gave us the first uh, reports of vampirism as a phenomenon that's worthy, first of all, of a scientific investigation at the beginning of the 18th century. And that was the encounter um, between the Austrian uh, officials and the exiled Serb community in Southern Hungary. So it's sort of like me and Clemens encountering each other to teach about our vampires, monsters, and zombies. So. Um, this, uh, you know, cultural contact uh, between the North and the South, between the Germanic and the, you know, Slavic culture uh, result resulted in the tremendous popularity of this figure as a figure of notoriety, you know, in the, um, you know, in the press, you know, of the times and uh, European press became uh, very much involved in uh, popularizing the so-called vampiric plagues. And basically the famous case of Petar Plugojevic, who was, that was reported by Wiener Diarium in 1725, uh, became the first um, uh, record of a scientific investigation of vampirism among the exiled communities of the Serbs, you know, in Southern Hungary. So it is interesting to actually look at the specifics of, uh, of this first case of, uh, you know, this first uh, vampire. Um, the Serbian community uh, was exiled uh, from Kosovo, as a matter of fact, you know, the region that is currently under dispute 
in the wake of the Austro-Turkish Wars. And it basically stirred the European popular imagination across empires, uh, especially because the Serbian culture carried over this belief in the vampiric resurrection of the dead um, and uh, dead as a kind of evil parasitic nuisance, but it will turn out later, it will be um, a parasitic nuisance that will haunt them in the writing of history and ultimately in the carrying on of their political uh, agendas. Um, it is also interesting to notice that during this period in the 18th century, um, this was not treated as um, a fact of um, you know, uh, fantasy or just pure literature, but actually uh, the belief in vampires was real. And there were over 40 doctoral dissertations on the topic of vampirism in Europe until the 1740s. And they were treating this return of corpses to life with scientific rigor of the time. Uh, there was, of course, much discussion of what kind of bodily humors are you know, available in order to you know, create this return of the body you know, back to life. Um, and these um, uh, considerations were very much part of the theology on the one hand and science you know, on the other. But it's so interesting that uh, the metaphor then slowly carried from this uh, first sort of investigation of the folk beliefs of the Serbs uh, into the public imaginary of many uh, empires, you know, of the time, even went as far as, uh, you know, the British Empire, as in the piece in 1763, in um, when a London newspaper columnist actually used the vampire as an allegory for the bloodthirsty nature of the tax law uh, in England, in an article entitled Political Vampirism. So it is interesting that you know from the beginning, um, the um, the figure itself was so malleable and flexible that it could be used uh, by any type of uh, discursive formation that it was uh, sought for. Um, and you know, I will move just a little bit, you know, in the presentation as well to talk what I mentioned just before, and those were these temporal nodes. Um, the uh, writing of that literary history we try to do um, through these uh, multiple non-hierarchical um, uh, entries and exit points for representation interpretation of cultural phenomenon. And we also wanted to resist uh, the causality narrative, cause and effect narrative that is uh, established along chronological lines. But oftentimes we look at events that occurred parallelly or next to each other, and you know, wondered what was it that um, you know made them uh, be so parallel or, or next to each other. So history and culture are then treated as a network of attractions um, and influences. You know, and so this is kind of this innovative, um, let's say, an experimental type of research methodology that we try to introduce uh, in the writing of this East European literary history. And so it is so because all the national traditions in this uh, area of small but very persistent uh, historic, historical memories 
are almost always in competition and have different narratives about the same events. So it was very difficult actually to reconcile them. So we actually tried to write, you know, all of these stories um, in, um, in and around these nodes, basically. Um, so, you know, this is something, of course, now when I come back to the uh, imperial, you know, imagination, and uh, I, I have purposefully actually used this image, you know, speaking in Ireland, and this is actually uh, how the uh, British Empire in a humorous magazine Punch actually represented uh, the, uh, you know, Charles Parnell and the Irish National League uh, as a vampire preying on the prostrate poor, you know, female body of Ireland. So it, it's kind of interesting that from the start, you can see that there is like, a, you know, colonial, post-colonial uh, thematic uh, that is going to be involved in, um, you know, in the topic of vampire and vampirism as well. Um, and, um, you know, it will be, um, um, you know, moving sometimes to represent of course, the uh, um, the aristocracy and its passing, you know, the degenerate, you know, aristocrats as vampires. But then, on the other hand, it will also move and represent the national movement as kind of preying on on their own people like vampires. So it, it's very interesting how you can uh, switch around um, these significations when necessary. But um, most of the um, uh, tropes, um, you know, that I have been examining in the books, are those, uh, you know, related to blood, being and belonging. Um, you know, vampire is treated here, obviously, as a metaphor for all of those. Um, and I have spoken a little bit about the Enlightenment, uh, you know, roots, you know, of the legend as a kind of uh, strange, bizarre rebellion, but also um, the uh, emergent um, narratives of blood and soil as kind of, um, you know, blood speaking about basically the ethnicity that is shared between people is a novel idea introduced by nationalism uh, in the 18th and 19th century. Of course, before that, it was a community of faith that was determining, you know, who belongs and who, who does not. And of course, the soil as a kind of metaphor for territory, you know, that is now being bounded by national boundaries, um, you know, precisely mapped, unlike those in the imperial times that are just known by that river or by that mountain um, and, you know, defended in the similar manner. So it, it's kind of interesting. And this is what is sort of the main topic, um, you know, around which the book resolves is how these um, effects of blood and soil are actually represented both in the vampire legends and in the discourse of nationalism. Therefore, the title, The Vampire Nation. Um, and so it's interesting that the emergent uh, administrative structures of the modern state, as they come into place, uh, are imbued with these allegorical significations uh, and that slowly transform these issues of blood um, into um, you know, something that is akin to uh, race and raciality, you know, but then that race kind of gets lost, um, you know, and forgotten. And you will see later on that this is something that is coming back very much 
in the study of the uh, East Central European region. And many of the um, you know, critics actually claim that you know, my book was actually the first one to start, uh, start addressing this issue actually you know, through popular culture and the vampire. Uh, so basically from uh, science, you know, um, you know, we moved, you know, on to um, a literature, but, you know, first look at the anatomy lesson, you know, this is actually there to just um, illustrate the movement from the religious to the scientific, you know, trying to actually analyze to come in and, you know, discover what, you know, is, um, you know, holding uh, the human body together through life and you know this kind of mystery of the dead bodies that return you know is something that is going to um you know play a huge role you know in you know the those doctoral dissertations that i have actually mentioned before and one of the uh, skeptics of the time jean-jacques rousseau said if there is in this world a well-attested account it is that of empires you know during his you know, time. Nothing is lacking. Official reports, affidavits of well-known people, of surgeons, of priests, of magistrates. The judicial proof is most complete. And with all that, who is there who believes in vampires? I mean, this, I just want to draw this uh, attention to the moment we are living actually right now with, you know, the area of fake news, you know, surrounding our pandemic, people who are no longer uh, sure in the validity of the existence or non-existence of the effective cure of the disease itself and so on. And it's so interesting that, uh, you know, even Rousseau in the 18th century actually was confronting this and, you know, through the figure of the vampire, you know, itself. And, you know, as I said before, you know, the figure itself is, um, you know, basically a symptom of East European you know, temporality, you know, um, which means, you know, nations who are small and geopolitically weak, but develop an overblown hypertrophied cultural memory about their own existence and uh, importance, and then play it up when necessary during violent confrontations with their neighbors or the empires around them. And of course, we come to another Irish-born figure, you know, which is, uh, Bram Stoker and the obvious, you know, connection to Ireland, uh, who, uh, strangely enough, uh, was the first one to invoke one of the central quotes, you know, from my book, and that actually uh, refers to this um, observation, you know, of the uh, Balkan region. When uh, Dracula is asked by Jonathan Harker about his origins, and has and he asks himself, "Who are you?" And he says, uh, "When was redeemed that great shame of Kosovo, when the flags of the Vlach and the Magyar went down beneath the crescent? Who was it but one of my own race?" And he uses the term race, who has voivode across the Danube, and be the Turk on his own ground. This was a Dracula indeed. So interestingly enough, um, Stoker actually identifies Dracula as one of those first. Kind of freedom fighters against the Ottoman Empire it gives it a post-colonial uh, dimension there, so that um, Voivoda, of course, being um, somebody who is you know adherent you know to the Christian faith and fights you know Islam. So 
Uh, of course, those will be the Komitaji later on in Bulgaria uh, and, you know, around Serbia, you know, identified with Chetniks and so on. Those were kind of the first, like, freedom fighter against the Ottoman Empire. And of course, their name and political struggle uh, was given an entirely different connotations in the, you know, 20th century as well. But it's sort of interesting that in the literary and geopolitical imaginary, uh, Dracula is then identified with, um, you know, saving the cross and Christianity, which of course is very opposite to the usual vampiric image, you know, and the vampire who flees the cross and is deadly afraid of it and cannot stand the vision of it and so on. So it's, it's really interesting how all these little, um, you know, incongruences actually slip into the representation, you know, of the vampire. And so these are some locally uh, grown figures, you know, from, uh, you know, Serbia, you know, Sava Savanovic, who is um, uh, a figure that appears in a literary fiction by Milovan Glišić 90 years after, um, and who then later becomes like a basis for village, you know, tourism in this particular part of, you know, Serbia. People are trying to use in the lack of uh, production in the region, the cultural resources and develop this kind of dark tourism, you know, that is happening around right now. Um, and just to go through, um, you know, the book rather quickly, uh, we have basically uh, the first chapter that talks about the vampire uh, metaphor in the age of nationalism and actually discusses uh, many of these, um, um, tropes that I have already discussed to a certain extent. And you can see the gruesome illustration right there, you know, taken right there from um, the Bosnian war. Actually, uh, these are the heads that have been chopped off uh, by the Mujahideen fighters, um, you know, in, in Bosnia. Um, and then, of course, this great vampire swindle, global cultural imaginary and the violence of the Serbs uh, is one of the uh, interesting moves in which um, I have tried to actually demonstrate how the um, uh, excessive representation of the Serbs as the vampires uh, of the New World Order has actually been there to um, act as a kind of screen memory or a screen, you know, for the imperial desires of much larger empires, uh, namely the U.S., led uh, West uh, in uh, its kind of conquest of East Central Europe and now um, moving on to Middle East and so on. Uh, of course, you know, in the process there had to be like a huge media, you know, campaign um, ending in uh, violence in which actually the, um, everything that was imputed, you know, to the Serbs was then repeated by the empires as well. So it's kind of interesting the empire as the vampire. And then uh, the second part is actually talking about figurational masculinity in the post-Oriental condition and discusses the ways in which um, the uh, notions of blood actually are um, through the image of the heroic male imbued you know, into the education kind of, of the Serb and how the um, uh, eternal life is 
actually gain to kind of the self-sacrificing acts of violence, you know, for the sake of the community. Um, the uh, chapter three talks about this period of Yugoslavism uh, and its discontents, uh, the um, appearance of a person in pictures, Slobodan Milosevic, who kind of resurrects the past at the Kosovo field, you know, and in that way kind of reawakens the vampire of violence and the struggle actually for the end of Yugoslavia begins. So now instead of this one country uh, from which actually I have migrated uh, to the West, to the United States, we now of course have, um, you know, seven uh, little um, vampiric entities, so to speak. Um, the fourth chapter is devoted to Bosnia in the lit literary and political imaginary, and especially uh, the um, two novels that analyze um, the um, you know, canonical bridge on the Drina, and you see the scene of impalement there that was also borrowed from Vlad Cepesh, you know, the original Dracula and uh, Mesha Selimovic. So I'm, you know, dealing with one, you know, Christian-based and one Muslim-based author who are both secular, but carry on the views of their community about the body of Bosnia in literary and political imagination. Um, and, you know, the fifth chapter is Quieting the Vampire, Voicing Violence in the Post-Human Age. Uh, it is actually about Kind of attempts to uh, put a stop to this, uh, uh, you know, uh, rapid Nazification um, of the region to put a stake through that swastika there that you see, you know, um, in the shadows, and um, you know deals with um, the anti-war uh, movement uh, in the region, uh, especially among the Serbs, analyzing the. Uh, legacies of authoritarianism uh, in many ways, and then points perhaps to the way in which um, this um, agonistic view um, that results in vampiric imagination can be overcome. And um, there are some events, you know, that kind of occurred uh, after the death, you know, of Milosevic. This is a performance by uh, a journalist uh, from a local newspaper who went uh, to the Milosevic's grave uh, in Požarevac and actually tried to perform the vampiric staking. He's carrying the stake there and, you know, trying to, um, uh, you know, say that, you know, we cannot get, be rid of the, um, you know, haunting, you know, that surrounds, you know, Serbia today without actually you know, staking Milosevic as a vampire. And however parodic uh, this um, uh, performance is, uh, it, it is a symptom of, uh, of something that Serbia is confronting, you know, every day, alongside with all the other countries in the, you know, Balkan region, I should add. And so here is basically um, this kind of Vampir Slobodan actually last night aired the, um, the show on uh, Serbian television called The Family about the last days of uh, Slobodan Milosevic. So it's kind of interesting that it's um, now coinciding, you know, with the lecture um, here and the way in which we can maybe try to kind of overcome 
um, you know, this legacy, you know, that is haunting the region. Um, and after this, I was uh, going to um, uh, maybe just take about 10 minutes uh, more to discuss the um, uh, reception, you know, of the Book of the Vampire Nation. And, um, you know, the uh, most comprehensive one, aside from all the reviews that came in uh, journals for um, literary theory, literary history, Slavic studies, um, anthropology, political science, uh, ethnography, and even geography, was this one issue of the New Perspectives, a magazine that comes out in Prague with um, Marxist leanings that in 2019 actually published um, a series of articles that were um, you know, related to um, this book, The Vampire Nation. And through this, reading these uh, articles, uh, I had realized that uh, there is a new term in use, a new field of study that is called critical Balkanology that uh, supposedly my book has started. Um, it really, uh, new perspectives have devoted um, this issue uh, to um, kind of Marxist critique of deconstructions and other um, form of post-structuralism, um, um, basically saying that um, there is not enough uh, representation of the working class, um, you know, that these are all uh, imaginary constructs and there is no materialist uh, critique involved in um, this kind of endless discussion of discursive formations you know, that they engage in. And that is just a reflection of my liberal bourgeois, um, you, know, um, you know, mindset. Um, so, you know, this also uh, led me to move in my next book uh, that's called The Secret of Translation to the issues of cultural translation and border studies method uh, to study interfaces between cultures uh, in phenomenological terms and see how different cultures coming from different linguistic and cultural traditions read into each other. What do they take? Um, what can be translated? What remains as the untranslatable core uh, of one identity and another that cannot be translated? But I'll say more about that later. So uh, basically the initial you know, critique came uh, from this Canadian scholar of uh, Marxist orientation, Rade Zinaich, who, um, as you can kind of see from this quote, it's rather um, um, uh, dense, you know, here, but, um, you know, it relates to my um, kind of uh, critique of um, uh, whiteness uh, through the way in which Yugoslavia fell apart from the Northwest to the Southeast, you know, from the first uh, claims of um, the Slovenes that they're different, that they belong to a different cultural circle and how behind it there is like a veiled uh, racial um, classification, you know, that comes, you know, about. It is not directly uh, linked to, to the color, but it is racialized and classed uh, as it's uh, said here. And that uh, the rural, dinaric, and folkloric are vampirically coded as 
quote, uncivilized, primitive, crude, cruel, and without exception, disheveled. And, um, you know, the, um, the critique basically, um, you know, goes that uh, I am the representative of neoliberal Serbia and illustrates how I partake of the same ideological economy that nourishes a racialized liberal cosmopolitanism. Rather interesting, um, you know, um, formulation there. I wonder how cosmopolitanism is also racialized, but let's move on to uh, those who actually wrote in defense of me somewhat. Um, and it's interesting how, first of all, we have, um, you know, Catherine Baker, um, uh, 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 a British historian, uh, who basically, you know, actually agrees that, you know, this book actually brought to the fore the, um, as she says here, Vampire Nation made the rare move, even rare in its time, to explicitly reading Slovenian nesting Orientalism as a Slovenian identification with whiteness itself. Um, and then, you know, basically, you know, uh, treated everything that is kind of below it in geographical terms, Northwest as somehow lesser. And then um, as, you know, she basically says uh, the utopian cosmopolitan Europe of Slovenian, Croatian, liberal Serbian unifications in the last years of Yugoslavia was also fortified and securitized space. Very soon cosmopolitan Europe would be trying to fortify itself against the export of instability from the Balkans and their wars as well, uh, which is uh, a very good point that um, uh, Professor Baker made there. Um, also, um, besides race, she also spoke about uh, my taking issue with uh, colonial and post-colonial theory. And when she says the Europe of empire nation is not the Europe that liberals and Democrats in Southeast Europe look towards in the immediate aftermath of the Cold War. And even Zinaich would agree with this point. Longinovich writes of Europe's collective genocidal past and as Zinaich acknowledges deserves credit for reading the Balkans as part or what Derek Gregory rightly calls the colonial present, rather than as an exception within European traditions of civilization and liberal peace. And so this is kind of the unsettling part of the book is that actually, you know, um, like most of the works inspired by the construction, you know, it does not actually let us rest at some conclusion, but actually tries to actually undermine every form of identity um, and thinking that would, you know, try to actually securitize and stabilize the, you know, the space of culture and politics. Um, also, um, when she speaks about the class uh, mythology, uh, Baker talks, um, you know, about this, um, you know, uh, mythologies of violence. And, you know, this is basically my um, as she rightly points out, my main aim, you know, in this book is to kind of deconstruct these mythologies of violence. And, um, you know, then the, as she says, this is far from the unproblematic identification with liberal cosmopolitan vision of a new European spirit among intellectuals uh, that um, Zinaj dis, uh, discerned in the writings of the Belgrade Circle, to which I belong to and to which also um, Jacques Davida um, made visits many times. Um, and 
whether its proponents would express as much untempered hope for a different and distinct Europe ushered in a planetary conversation of peoples in times of Alexander Vucic, as they did in the time of Slobodan Milosevic, Zinaj doesn't say. So um, it is interesting that we are actually living a much, um, in some ways, more stable moment, but in ideological terms, uh, probably a much worse moment than we did uh, in the 90s. And then um, Dragan Kujundžić, another literary scholar, also responded to the class you know, theory expressed in the book and says that vampire nation provides a template for reading the forces of modern day capitalism, coupled with a sense of techno supremacy, which led to violent outbursts, wars and conflicts, while being unconscious of and unreflected in their own vampirism. Um, not like Dracula the vampire, um, Dr. Van Helsing who fights him equally wields the stake as his weapon of choice. And this was kind of that my um, uh, put, putting into comparative analysis, uh, you know, those who are carrying out the civilizing mission and those who are being civilized. Thus the figure of the vampire appears as the dark underbelly of the colonial conquest and transfusion of territories and bodies, the sucking of the capital from the colonies or qua oil from the earth itself. So, much wider problem that we are facing today. And so, you know, this is basically the end of my, uh, you know, presentation and I'm uh, ready to uh, take, uh, you know, all your questions, observations, uh, you know, critiques and everything else um, that you may feel like doing right now. So, thank you so much, Val Aleppo, uh, uh, Tomislav, uh, for this really uh, thought-inspiring and provoking uh, lecture, uh, which actually is a summary of, uh, of, of, of your book. But what I found fascinating is that you end up with your critics, uh, basically um, giving them a voice to, uh, I, I only know a few academics who would do that. Um, and I think this gives us a lot uh, to bite on, if you excuse the pun. The pun. Um, and yeah, I think you've proven again that you are, I, I always wondered why is there such a, um, a certain interest in comparative literature. There's at least two generations of outstanding uh, Serbian comparatives. If I think of uh, Soran Konstantinovic in Austria or uh, Charles Dimic in Canada, uh, Soran Milutinovic in, in London, yourself. Uh, why is there, and, and you have shown us that, you know, comparative literature is not kind of a, um, a sort of a gentleman's hobby, uh, but uh, it has a very political dimension. Uh, maybe, uh, can we start a discussion? Why is there such a kind of a vivid and, and lively interest in comparative literature, at least for, for two generations? And, and much of it, I have to say, is probably not really acknowledged by by the West uh, as such. Uh, do you have a, any idea of why is this the case? And it, it, I have to say, it's also a very diasporic movement. I, all, the, all the scholars I've mentioned, they, they, they live or they lived in, in diaspora. 
Yes, that, that is an excellent question. And, uh, you know, basically maybe we can go back to Ivo Andrich, who actually said that, um, you know, books and reading books from all around the world uh, is a way for a person uh, who is, um, you know, inter interested in ideas, who is interested in, in other parts of the world, but lives in a small country, you know, in the provinces, you know, you know, books and reading books from around the world is a sort of way of virtually knowing and living, you know, these lives of other people and, you know, reaching for them. And, you know, the um, Cathedra in uh, Belgrade was definitely one of the uh, best ones probably in Europe and the most comprehensive in its studies, but also if you look at it through this uh, new lens of uh, te uh, technically employable uh, population with skills, you know, it, it did not, um, you know, fulfill its mission. You actually had incredible knowledge, you know, that you gained through the study of this. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not actually the uh, comparative literature graduate. My first degree was in clinical psychology. And I only studied the you know, literature back in the United States. But uh, it is interesting, all the people that I know and their vast knowledge you know, of uh, uh, comparative literature or world literature as it's known uh, here, obviously inspired by Goethe's wealth literature um, you know, idea, uh, is uh, the one that was actually working kind of on the uh, combination of the German and the French uh, model for um, world literature and comparative literature and developing its own, um, you know, smaller version of it, but then um, uh, developing this tremendous amount of uh, fantastic scholars, um, you know, in the region itself. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I, I have a few questions here. Um, uh, Poland came up and uh, I have to say um, um, there is a prominent Polish scholar, Maria Janion, uh, who has wrote a brilliant book about Polish vampires. Uh, and she, she undertook a similar uh, kind of uh, ideologie kritische uh, reading of, uh, of, of Polish vampires. So the question Monica Bellman has is the idea of blood and soil or nationalism as a source of the vampire theme in the South Slavic uh, region is very different uh, from that further north. Uh, would you suggest that the violent history of the Balkans is more likely to create a vampire theme than that of other Eastern European countries? Yes, I'm sure that actually, if we look closely, I mean, each one of these countries will have, you know, their own kind of like specific, uh, you, know, uh, you know, ideas about it. As far as I know, the Polish upior, right? It's not vampire, but upior, like uh, similar to the Russian one, actually does not drink blood. You know, it is all about the dispossession of the soul rather than taking the blood fluid, you know, out of the person. So maybe, you know, the trope of blood is not even present actually in uh, in the tales of the Polish vampires, but it happens somewhere from. Uh, I think, you know, the Czech lands and Slovakia uh, to the to the south, you know, that we have kind of this narrative of blood and soil, uh, you know, more applicable. But, you know, if we look at uh, the way in which the legend was used, as in the case of Charles Parnell and, the, you know, the Irish and, and how the vampire metaphor carried over even into, you know, the disputes between the British Empire and Ireland, 
nationalist movement, you know, you can see, you know, the, the production of uh, the allegory and the metaphor that now became overwhelming, you know, and um, is not necessarily rooted in folklore, but, you know, it carries through this new modern uh, forms of imagination through the mass media and so on. So it's kind of interesting how uh, culture actually spreads this way. I have another question for you. Um, an anonymous um, um, listener says, uh, thank you for a very interesting talk. Uh, I wonder if you might have specific thoughts on what vampires can teach us about territorial sovereignty and borders in general and at large. And I think this is a very good question because uh, the vampire has always been a creature lurking around borders. Um, particularly uh, uh, at the Austrian uh, military uh, border, the Granica there between uh, the Ottoman Empire and the, the sphere of interest of, of the Habsburg Empire. Um, what do you, what would you say? It, 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 you, you just, you know, gave the answer. It's always, in, and in, even in those first tales, I think there is like an anonymous tale actually that was collected in, um, Austria, where uh, there is the vampire called Azo von Klatka, you know, who uh, actually, um, you know, meets the vampire who, who has a golden hand, which is a motif that I have not encountered before. Uh, and he tells his tales that actually he became a vampire by actually going to fight with the Turk and was infected, uh, you know, with vampirism, you know, through these fights. So there is always this notion that uh, on the border, you meet the other, you meet the otherness. And that otherness can be demonic, but it can also be obviously religious. So, you know, for Christian Europe, it was always kind of the encounter uh, with Islam, you know, that created this. So that therefore we have always Bosnia as kind of the um, quintessential region, you know, for this. And then Kosovo, again, uh, a region of, you know, mixed cultural traditions. So it seems that wherever there is intense uh, contact between cultures, we also have uh, the tales of vampires and vampirism that it is always imputed to that other side. In Istria as well, which is very uh, strange on the Istrian peninsula where we have the encounter uh, between the Italian, the Slavic and the Austrian cultures, uh, you have the appearance of uh, Johannes Grandus uh, or Jure uh, Grando or Giorgio Grande. He has three names in three different languages, you know, like in Latin for the Austria, you know, in Italian for Italians and in Croatian for the Slavs, um, you know, who is again, um, you know, a person of vampiric, um, you know, origin from this one small uh, village in Istria. And again, people there are trying to mine this as a cultural resource to bring them, um, you know, some uh, income right now. Yeah. Uh, am I right uh, asking, it always seemed to me that uh, vampires, uh, they thrive in an orthodox environment mm -hmm. better than in other Christian environments, so which has to do with, well, the Christian faith in orthodoxy is, is more ancient and it's more open, for example, to bodily things, uh, like the bodily return of, of, of something uh, rather than a ghost. Uh, would you agree on this? Yes, because, you know, uh, uh, it is mainly with the Serbs that, you know, these legends actually, you know, occur or are they recorded by Vukaradzic, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, exactly why, but this, 
kind of close proximity to corpses, uh, you know, in, in folk belief, in uh, necromancy and, and all kinds of uh, folk practices, you know, is definitely uh, there. Although it is interesting, there is um, um, actually a Catholic theologian in, um, in Italy writing a lot about the vampires, but, you know, those from Moravia. I don't know if you remember the case of, um, from uh, Silesia, you know, and there, there is this uh, vampire called Kuntius who was a shoemaker you know, and, you know, his case provoked uh, a big unrest, you know, among the Catholic population. So this uh, particular priest tried to actually come up uh, with a way of explaining how there are remnants of a vegetative soul, you know, using kind of old Aristotelian kind of concepts of bodily humors, you know, um, the remnants of the vegetative soul somehow stayed, you know, unbaptized and, and therefore, you know, were the ones to rise um, after his death and so on. It's a very interesting article. I can send it to you. Uh, yeah, uh, and you were referring there was a second wave of vampirism. So the first wave, uh, to put it in, in COVID terms, uh, happened uh, around 1730 in uh, in, in, in Serbia or in, in Serbian lands and the second wave in the 1750s um, in Moravia and Silesia, also like bordering lands between a Germanic exactly. and a Slavic culture or kind of mix. So a vampire has always been uh, the epitome of cultural uh, um, contact, cultural conflict and also cultural translation. Um, and I have a, a, a few other questions here. There's a dear acquaintance, you might know him as well, uh, Ivan Nisic uh, from Medvedja. Uh, okay. I, 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 I met him, uh, I think he's a teacher there. So Medvedja is, is a place where a very famous uh, vampire case took place in uh, 7031, 7032. And he just wanted to say hello to us uh, from Serbia. And uh, he, he asked uh, whether you agree that Arnold uh, Pavle uh, uh, was the most influential vampire case from Serbia in the 18th century. Uh, we have uh, we ha had made loose plans, for, like having a little vampire workshop once uh, on the real place in Medvedja, in the in the middle of Serbia. And yeah. Hi to Ivan. Uh, Hi, Ivan. Ivan. And it will happen. <laughs> we will all come to Medvedja, you know, to the old school, you know, one day with uh, all our uh, stakes red at the ready. So you would agree that this is I that this is this is the case one. of Arnold Paule, you know, the, uh, Arnold Pavle or Arnold Paule as the as the you know they transcribed his name by the Austrian officials. Um, and, you know, there was, um, you know, the Visum et Repartum document that was uh, written on that occasion that even, you know, is actually was very kind to give me the reproduction of when I visited. And, uh, you know, definitely it's, uh, you know, uh, perhaps the first We case. should go there together once. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> I have a next question. Sofia Filipov says, greetings from Belgrade University. Um, and if you could tell us uh, something more about this subject in the context of Selimovic's uh, novels uh, that you mentioned earlier. You know, in Selimovic's novels, I was just trying to actually speak, you know, not 
di directly about the you know vampirism, but about the identity of Bosnia itself and how, uh, in some ways, you know, uh, comparing and contrasting his views with that of Ivo Andrić, with this kind of um, very you know sharp identities. Uh, that Ivo Andrić, you know, draws with, you know, the impalement scene uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, bloody uh, confrontations and so on. While in Selimovic, we have uh, much more this kind of focus um, on the uh, quietness and inwardness of Islamic culture of, you know, something that is, um, you, you know, rarely spoken about. And, um, you know, basically Bosnia as uh, the image of a giant with broken limbs, you know, that is uh, a huge culture but you know cannot actually move about on its own and it always requires some sort of propping from its colonial uh, rulers yeah i have another question from mary gallagher uh she also thanks you so much as we all do for your most stimulating paper she says i'm a caribbeanist and i work on the figure of the zombie how would you locate the meaning of the zombie in relation to that of the vampire? I always wonder if the greater weight given to the idea of labor in the mythology of the zombie isn't the key to this difference. Yes, and I mean, and the zombie definitely has, uh, you know, similar colonial, post-colonial, you know, connotations, you know, in, in Haiti, you know, and in the Caribbean and, uh, you know, the, um, labor was obviously one of the things uh, that uh, the slaves performed you know so therefore therefore zombifying a person to become you know a slave has you know definitely you know those connotations as well but um, you know i have also not written much about this but i don't know if you know the work of louise white you know she is an anthropologist working in africa and she worked with a, a phenomenon of wazimamoto it's a kind of um, the, um, you know, uh, strange connection that people make between firefighters in uh, Eastern Africa and, um, you know, vampires. And she basically says equipment is always red and so is blood. Therefore, any African in the olden days could easily conclude that the fire trucks were involved in transportation of blood after the blood sucking. You know, so you have all kinds of interesting folkloric uh, methods uh, that are involved all around the world, but they always hinge on this uh, issue of power and who is taking vital energy from whom and how. So in Africa, there is a whole narrative about these, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, firefighters, you know, who are obviously like a westernizing concept, going around in red trucks and luring the native population, taking their blood, transporting it from the Congo, you know, to Belgium and then uh, selling cough medicine, which is also red, you know, back to the natives, uh, you know. <laughs> so you have the whole kind of colonial circle of economic exploitation told to like a vampire fairy tale. It's kind of really interesting. Well, uh, my, 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 my own last question would be, um, and I think uh, in a way, uh, there is there is some rationale uh, that we switch to zombies. Uh, it seems uh, to be the case that zombies have taken over slowly from vampires. Uh, for a while, the vampire was uh, the key figure also in, in the production of horror films. Uh, there is a class issue, of course, well, zombies reminiscent of slavery. It's a mass creature. It's a swarm intelligence. 
uh, whereas the vampire is rather individualistic. Um, um, and if you think of, um, uh, of, of this very sad melancholic movie of, of Jim Chalmers, Only Lovers Left Alive, um, uh, says it all. Um, do you think that we are towards the end of the vampire narrative? Uh, is the vampire going to be put to sleep for good? Or do you uh, see another return, another revival, another resurrection around the corner? Yeah, I mean, it, it will always kind of be latent for a while, but then, you know, the explosion will happen every 17 years, like the cicadas it will emerge from the ground when necessary and where certain cultural forces necessitate its return. You know, so it's it's always we are moving in culture in these circles, you know, and it's so interesting how the vampire travels this trajectory for Balkan folklore into science narratives, then into popular culture and then later into films, television and of course the Internet, the video games and so on. So, but, you know, uh, you know, cultural industry, you know, is hungry like the vampire. So it, it will, <laughs> it will, you know, use any creature that comes its way, you know, to, to make more money, obviously. So I think uh, you, you have, uh, you know, put a stake right through it. <laughs> it's about latency and, and the, the vampire might be going into latency, but uh, he, she or it or whatever, uh, the, the sex of the vampire uh, would be, uh, I, I, my, one day uh, this creature will say, uh, I'll be back uh, in, um, sorry for the Austrian accent. But like I like Ar Arnold, Arnold, <laughs> Arnold will be back, right? <laughs> Tomislav, thanks a lot for this uh, very inspiring lecture. Thank you so much. And I hope we'll have you around uh, in the next years uh, in person, uh, not undead, but alive. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll then be able to do all the things we would normally do with our dear guests in Dublin. Um, and uh, uh, we, we won't drink blood, but uh, <laughs> there'll be other liquids that are uh, basically um, uh, to be recommended. I thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was a real pleasure. And thank you all who participated virtually, you know, in this, uh, you know, communion, not the unholy one, hopefully. And there comes the vampire. <laughs> bye. <laughs> thank you. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures, stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of the Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism. Here's to the next 10 years. <laughs>